I was raised Baptist, and Baptist is my, uh, is my tradition, my background. Uh, I've served a lot of Baptist churches in my life. And one thing, the only thing the Baptists love almost as much as the Bible is food. Right, as I, I already heard it, heard it in the crowd. You know, and you know how in the... Um, they say they say in the early church, you know, the early church would draw the sign of the fish in the sand to, you know, as a secret uh, code for that they were Christians. Well, for Baptists, that's a casserole. You draw a casserole in the ground, and you know you're with with other Baptists. And uh, as you can tell, I kind of like to eat. And it works out good because my wife likes to cook. My wife is an incredible cook. And uh, we're I'm trying to diet right now, though, um, and, and it's, it's tough when she is such a good cook. But one of the things I'm learning in trying to diet is there are, there are things that are supposed to be healthier for you. They've got all these substitutes for things you can eat now, and they usually look pretty good, but they don't quite taste the same. I don't know if you've noticed this. Uh, for instance, take for take for instance turkey bacon, which I believe is of the devil. <laughs> turkey bacon is of the devil because that's what the devil does. The devil counterfeits the wonderful things of God, and he has a counterfeit for for bacon, which is turkey bacon. So uh, when I think of turkey bacon, I always always think of the devil because uh, it just it looks like bacon. It even kind of sizzles there in the pan, but then you taste it. It's not bacon. It's it's some bad facsimile. Also, the other week, I went to a cookout. Um, I I won't say where because I'll I'll make them mad. But I went to a cookout, and I tried for the first time a veggie burger. No, no. It was It was terrible. I, I took the big bite out of it. I was like, oh, I'm going to go all the way. I took two hamburger patties and put them on there and got the buns and everything. And I just uh, took a big old bite and ah, ah. It's, it's just not the same. It's like a mouthful of mush. Uh, and, and that was the first time I ate a veggie burger. And that was coincidentally the last time I will ever eat a veggie burger. Now, I have friends who have sworn off meat of any kind. I have friends who are vegetarians. I have friends who are vegans. And they tell me that they are going to live much longer than I will live because of that, because they're eating so much better. And they are probably right. They're they're skinny and they're healthy. You hate people like that, don't you? But uh, no, you don't, you don't. But, But I've told my friends they may indeed live longer than me, but my, my revenge will be, I'm going to list them all as pallbearers. And they're going to have to carry my coffin. And I figure that will do them all in right there. So they may meet, beat me by a week, but, but they're not going to last much longer than that. Uh, there are some things that people tell you are good. But when you actually experience them, you find out. They're not really good. For instance, like some people are saying nowadays, they're saying God is really not good. You know, we always said as good kids, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And we prayed that way. 
Um, there's an atheist right now whose name is Christopher Hitchens who wrote a very popular book called God is Not Great, where he says, you may think that God is good, you may think that God is great, but actually, if you look at history, if you look at the things that have been done in the name of God all through the centuries, you will find out that most of the time religion was the problem, not the solution. He is saying very Specifically, God is not good. God is certainly not great. That Christianity has done more harm than good. You want to look at a lot of the wars that happened through history. A lot of those were religious wars. And in fact, today, it's become very stylish for people to say that they are no longer Christians. Um, Over the past few years, People have been leaving churches. And used to be we would get people, you know, on Christmas and Easter, you would have the Christmas and Easter crowd that would come to church. They wouldn't come any other time of the year, but they'd show up on Christmas. They'd show up on Easter just to kind of, you know, have a placeholder, you know, save that seat for me. I'll be back. Funny thing, the last 10 years or so, those people are gone. They're not showing up Christmas and Easter. And I don't think it's any great loss. But before where they would say, well, I don't go to church all the time. And, you know, I don't do all the stuff you guys do. But I'm, but I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And they'd show up every now and then. Nowadays, they're not showing up. Used to be, I knew a lot of people when I would serve prestigious churches sometimes, uh, there would be folks in the community, movers and shakers who would show up at that local church just to put in an appearance so that people would think they respected the things of God. Nowadays, that's not the case. Nowadays, a lot of those movers and shakers try to keep a distance from the church. It's become quite stylish to reject Christianity. In fact, there was a guy, uh, uh, there's been several pastors who have come out, several uh, Christian writers who've come out and said, listen, I am no longer a Christian. I no longer believe. Uh, There was a guy just a few years ago, uh, Joshua Harris, who wrote the book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was a big popular Christian book about 15 years ago, I guess, that was saying, you know, don't do dating, do more like uh, old school courting is the biblical way to find a date. And uh, he had this very popular book. Well, he's come out and said, I reject Christianity. And the funny thing about these guys, the ones who've come out and said they're no longer Christians, I noticed they, they never quite do it privately. They always do it with a huge amount of fanfare. They re- do a press release saying, oh, I'm no longer a Christian. And in fact, Joshua Harris, who wrote that book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye, now has a five-week course on deconstructing your faith that he will sell you for $275. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm wondering today in presenting all this to you is how do we answer people like that? Because I've known people like that personally. By the way, when I was, when I was uh, going through college, I had professors who probably knew more about the Bible than I knew. 
they had studied it. They had studied archaeology. They had done all this kind of stuff. But they were not Christians. And their attitude towards me was, well, you know, that's really sweet that you believe, Dave. You know, that's, that's really nice. And I wish I could believe all those fairy tales too. Ever had anybody tell that to you? You know, it would be really comforting if I could believe all the things you believe, Dave. But, you know, I'm just basically too intelligent to believe that stuff. I've got too many doubts. I've seen too much evidence to the contrary, and I just can't buy it. Um, I've had conversations with friends who've told me that straight to my face. In fact, uh, it's, it's funny when you're a pastor, uh, you get conversations with people who say that they're Christians a lot of the time. As soon as they find out you're a pastor, they pour it on thick. Oh, Pastor Dave, I, I love the Lord. And these people say that they're Christians. But the more you talk, the more you talk about your faith. Because I always say, well, where do you go to church? They say, oh, I don't, I, I don't go any, to church anywhere. But, oh, the Lord is really important to me. And I've always been a Christian. And you, and you listen to them. And it's like there's something missing when you're talking with them. They haven't personally rejected Christianity. But when you talk to them, I have to be honest, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but when we talk back and forth, when they talk about Jesus and I talk about Jesus, it doesn't feel like the same thing. Because when Jesus came into my life, he radically turned my life around. And I wasn't a really bad kid. It's not like I was on a street gang and turned everything around. I was a good little Baptist boy, grew up in church. But when I experienced Jesus, he changed everything on the inside radically. I was no longer the boss of my life. I turned all that over to him. And, and even though it's been limited at times, this, a love flooded into my life for people who didn't know Jesus. A joy and a peace came into my life, and it changed me. And sometimes when I'm talking to people about God, I don't get any of that. And I wonder, have they experienced the same thing I have? Have all those writers and some of those pastors who've said that they've turned away from Christianity, are they talking about the same Christianity that I've known? Because I honestly can't imagine turning away from Jesus. No matter what bad thing happens to me in my life, I can't imagine rejecting him. I've had a lot of conversations where you know, the transformation that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 when he was talking to Nicodemus, who is a really religious person. And he was saying, Nicodemus, I know you're good. I know you're a good man and I know you're religious. But man, you've got to start over from scratch. You've got to be born again. Because you may know a lot about God, like my professors that I had. You may know a lot about church. But you don't know God yet. It's like they've tasted something different than I've tasted. And you know, a taste is tough to explain. Have you ever tried to describe a taste to anybody? 
Well, you say, well, it's, it's salty, so you describe a taste with another taste. Or it's sweet, and so you're describing... Really, a taste is something that you have to experience to really know what it is. So, when we're talking to people like that, when you're talking to neighbors like that, who say that they know God, but it seems like something's missing. Or when you're talking to friends who say, well, I tried Christianity and it didn't do anything for me. Thanks, but no thanks. Are we talking about the same thing? What is it that's missing? In fact, I guess I'm asking today, what's the secret sauce? Well, I think I found it in Psalm 34. Let's read through this real quick because there's a key verse in here I want you to catch. Psalm 34, this is David, and he's saying this, saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Next one. Next slide, Chuck. There we go. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. That, that sounds like they've experienced something pretty real. This poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now here's the important part. Next verse. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. And here it is. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. You see, now that passage, that's King David. And I want you to, I want you to try to wrap your brain around this. This is a testimony of somebody who has truly experienced the living God. He's a humble man of praise. He, he magnifies the Lord, not his problems. He seeks the Lord. He's been saved by God from his troubles. But most of all, this last verse, I think this is the difference. He's tasted of the Lord. In other words, he knows the flavor of the things of God by experience. He doesn't know the flavor of religion. He doesn't know the flavor of church. But he's tasted the real thing, not the turkey bacon. And that taste, when you've tasted the real thing, that's what makes all the difference. You see, believing in God, it's not about what you know in your head. It's really about what you've tasted. Let me, let me explain it to you. Go on to the next slide. You see, I don't think you know God is good, like this passage says, until you've had the real thing. And a lot of people that we meet and we talk to haven't had the real thing. By the way, don't be intimidated by your atheist friends. I heard a, a story about a, a lady who was on an airplane, just like Mark was last night. But she was sitting on an airplane, and she was sitting next to an atheist. And she was reading her Bible, and she was reading the book of Jonah. And, and, the, and the atheist was sitting next to her. He said, oh, I see you're reading the Bible. Hmm. 
She said, yes, I love the Word of God. It's, it's, it's my favorite book. I'm, and I'm a Christian. And she starts talking. He's like, yeah, okay, okay. Oh, you're reading the book of Jonah. And we all know that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. You have to be careful there because a whale's esophagus is not big enough to swallow a human unless you eat him up. So uh, don't, don't let the atheist trip you up on that one. He said, you believe that God made a big fish to swallow a man and a man lived inside of a fish all those days. And she says, yes, I believe that. Hmm. Well, how can you know that that's the way it happened? Well, she says, I don't really know. But, you know, uh, when I get to heaven, I'll ask Jonah how it happened. And the atheist says, what if Jonah didn't go to heaven? She said, well, you ask him then. My easy answer to all my atheist friends, and I love my atheist friends, I got a bunch. I don't push people out of my life who don't believe like me. I keep my arms wrapped around them as much as I can. But my easy answer to my atheist friends is this. You have never tasted the real thing. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if you know the Lord's Prayer and Psalm 23 and all these things by heart. You have to taste you have to experience the things of God. And if all you've eaten all your life is turkey bacon, you may not think you like bacon. You may not think it's a great thing. But that's because you've never tasted the real thing. The only way to truly know the joys and raptures of bacon, because it's a wonderful thing, is to taste it. You see, that's the other thing I want you to learn. The next thing you need to learn is this. Go ahead, Chuck. Bang. Bang. There it is. There it is. You won't know God is really good just by sniffing around him. Yeah. You see... You have to taste bacon to know how good it is. Now, it smells pretty great. But turkey bacon doesn't smell bad either. The problem that most people have with Christianity, who don't think that God is that special, who don't think that serving God is that good, the problem is this. They've never tasted. They've only kind of sniffed around him. Um... They've never risked anything on God. They're not really all in. They've gone to church, and, they, and you see them in church a lot of times because they have that kind of snippy look in their face. They're like, they're sniffing around. Well, what did you think of that service? Well, the music was okay, but I thought the sermon was kind of boring. It's like they're crit critics critiquing a performance. And they sniff around the things of God, but they never, really, they never really commit to the thing. You see, taste is the most intimate of the senses. You can sniff food that's in your refrigerator to see if it's still okay, but 
you never really know for sure till you taste it. I mean, have you ever um, have you ever gone in your refrigerator and gotten the milk out and just taken a big gulp and then realized it's gone bad? Some of you are wincing just thinking about it. It's a, it's a bad experience. You see, because when you taste something, you are fully committed to it. When it goes inside of you, it becomes part of you. And if it's bad, if it's rancid, it can make you sick. Fully committing to that, tasting it, taking it into you is an intimate, dangerous experience for anything. You know, when you've, if you've got little kids, the first few years of our kids' lives, we're just trying to keep things out of their mouths that they find on the floor. God help you if you've got a dog in the house at the same time. You're, you're just constantly just, no, don't put that in your mouth. Don't, you know, because once it's in there, you're contaminated by it. Even when we take communion, notice you take communion You don't just sniff it. You don't just touch it. No, the ritual is you take it into yourself. You take Christ into you to become part of you. There's a reason that we do it that way. Because if you just spend your life sniffing around the things of God, folks, you're not going to get it. You're not ever going to know how good God is if you play it safe. Yeah. You have to be all in. You have to take a risk on God. And everybody that I talk to who doesn't really understand Christianity, they don't, they don't get it. What's the big deal? Why do you go to church every week? Why do you give your life to this thing? It's because all they've done is just Mm. what's the big deal? Just like the bacon. Until you taste it and take it into yourself, you don't know what's so wonderful about the bacon. You see, way too many casual Christians are wondering today why the Christian life is not what they expected it to be. Well, we go to church every now and then. Well, we, yes, we go to church, and I, I've read the Bible parts of it, and I, you know, and they've they're sniffing around. They've never fully committed, and that is the bad thing about Christianity. It's all or nothing, folks. You got to fully jump into it with both feet. But if you're just casually committed, well, a little Bible. Let's treat it like a smorgasbord, a little Bible study, a little this, a little prayer, a little prayer when I'm waiting for the light to change. God, help the light change quicker. You know, when things go wrong in my life, I'll pray a little church every now and then. You'll never get it that way. You'll never understand. See, and the sad thing is... A lot of the people that I know who do go to church are really just practical atheists. They say they believe, but in their lifestyle, 
They're no different than my atheist friends. They say they believe in God, but they've never fully put their weight on him. They've never risked anything on God. And so, oh, yes, I believe. But when I look at their life, you're just like an atheist. You've never taken a chance and put your weight completely on God. Your weight is, you say you trust God, but you really trust your 401k is what it comes down to. You say you trust God, but you trust the Weather Channel a whole lot more. And if the Weather Channel told you today, oh, I'm going to go to the camera here. If the Weather Channel told you today it was raining, you stayed home. <laughs> Ouch. We say we're Christians, but we live like an atheist. I've even known Christian parents when I, back when I was a youth pastor. If a, if, a, if a Christian kid ever talked about becoming a missionary to foreign lands, don't do that. You've got a great career ahead of you. Well, I don't want my kid to be a missionary because you don't really trust in God to protect them and to use them the way he wants to. You trust in their college and their career all these other things. Mm. You see, until you taste, until you commit fully, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And that's one of the problems I think we've got with Christianity nowadays. Too many people in church have been infected with a weak strain of the virus of Christianity. They've had Christianity that never takes a risk, that never completely commits, just kind of <laughs> sniffs around church and the things of God without fully committing to Christ. And what we've done is we've inoculated our kids against ever catching the real thing. God help us. But the good thing is, and the last thing is, when you've tasted God's goodness, when you've really tasted, when you've committed, you can't hide it. My brother-in-law was named Claude. He passed away, uh, was it three years ago now? Two years ago now. He was, he was hit by a drunk driver trying to help somebody on the road. He was a good guy and he left behind a wife and three boys that are, that are doing okay right now. But I remember Claude and I would sometimes pal around when we were in Knoxville. He had lived in Knoxville and he knew the places to get soul food in Knoxville. Because Claude, by the way, was African-American. And we were talking about food and that kind of stuff. And Claude liked to eat too. And uh, we were talking about soul food. And I said, well, I don't know that I've ever had authentic soul food. And he said, well... You want to go to the other side of town with me? See, the east side of Knoxville is predominantly African-American. And I said, well, sure. So we got in the car, Claude and I, and we went over to some hole-in-the-wall soul food restaurant on the other side of town. When we pulled up, I mean, I don't know that any health inspector had ever seen this place. 
probably didn't even know it was a restaurant looking at it from the outside. But when we open the door to this establishment, a wave of smells hit me in the face. This was a smorgasbord of smells that because of the smell was so enticing, I could not wait to eat the food in spite of the way the place looked. And the place did not look any better on the inside than it did on the outside. Uh, it was real cheap. We, we, had to, we had those trays, like those cafeteria trays like you had in, in high school, you know, and you put it on the little thing and you, you kind of slide it along and it had the spit guard across the food, like cafeteria style, you know. And the spit guard looked like it had been frosted, you know, looked like frosted glass. But what it was, it wasn't frosting, because that would be too fancy for this place. It was grease that had stayed on that glass probably for about a decade or more. And as I rolled my trail on, there were some things that I did pass on. Anything with the word jowls in it or hawks in it, I, I just said, oh, no, no, thank you. But then we, we looked at some more, and then I saw something I recognized. Chicken. Fried chicken. Wonderful, greasy, crackling fried chicken that had just been fried. There were ribs with barbecue sauce on them. There were mashed potatoes with those pools of butter on the top of them. Probably as much butter as there were potatoes there. Oh, there were green beans. You say, oh, good, a vegetable. No, not really. Because the green beans were, were cooked with a huge bone of ham in the middle of it. So they didn't really taste like green beans. They tasted more like bacon. Uh, so, I, so I'm like, yes. Thank you, brother. I see t we're testifying around the room. So I said, yeah, give me some of that fried chicken, some of those mashed potatoes, prop, all on the plate, green beans. We want, we want our greens in there, yes. All that kind of stuff. There was okra. Oh, I'll pass on the okra. And then we got to the dessert section of the line, which is my favorite section. There was one of my favorites, peach cobbler, but I passed by the peach cobbler because there on the counter, Chuck, show us, was the delight of my life. <laughs> banana pudding. See, banana pudding, my wife makes an incredible banana pudding. But you have to know how to eat banana pudding because what you do not do is if your wife fixes the banana pudding, you do not eat it right then. No, you wait a day. You wait for the banana pudding to sit in the refrigerator for a while. You wait for it to cool. But also, over the period of a day, the wafers, the vanilla wafers, start to disintegrate ever so slightly and mix in there. And the bananas, if they were a little too ripe now, they, they, they've softened some more. And after about a day in the refrigerator, the banana pudding is perfect, maybe two days. It's like a fine wine, you see. You want to give it time to age just a bit. And this banana pudding that was in front of me on that counter was perfect. And I said, oh, yes, I will partake of the banana pudding. And they gave me one of those, those, you know, little round bowls with that in there. And I got my tray 
And we carefully took it to one of those little wobbly tables that has the thing underneath one of the legs to keep it from wobbling back and forth. You know, you got paper stuffed under there or whatever. And then we had a big thing of sweet tea. That day, all I can, it was, it was an, a religious experience for me. Uh, I, I, I'm not an African-American, but that day was like my black bar mitzvah where I felt like I was being initiated into something spiritual and wonderful. But here's the key about going to a soul food restaurant. When you come out of that place, you smell like it. You reek of it. It's a good thing my wife knew where I was going because if I'd have to, you know, if I said, I went to a health food restaurant and got a salad, honey, that's all I did. She would have known better. No fooling anybody who's been to a place like that because you smell of everything. You know, you, you reek of the place. In fact, you can, you can get one of those cute little moistened towelette thingies. You can try to wipe your hands with it. It will be, it will be a, a folly, a complete folly. No moistened towelette can take the smell of all that marvelous grease off of you. You see, when a Christian has been with God, when you have truly experienced him, he gets all over you. And you reek of him from all those days spending time in prayer, praying over your kids, praying over your job, praying over your life. You start to soak in God and you start to get to know him. And, and there's this beautiful communion back and forth between you and him every day. And even when you're, especially when you're going through trials, the relationship gets even sweeter and sweeter because with age, just like the banana pudding, it just gets better. See, that's what this world needs to see. This world does not need to see your argument with them on Facebook. This world does not need to see a lot of your proofs for why God exists and you argue with your atheist friends back and forth. No. I mean, I don't see a lot of value in much of that. And the world certainly doesn't need your judgment. But if you would just walk around reeking of your time with God, soaked in his goodness, because you have tasted him, you have risked on him, you have completely committed to him, and now he is living inside of you. When you have been with God, you reek of him. Because you have tasted him, you will not be able to hide it. And that scent on you will betray you to everyone. Because he is now all over you. These folks will challenge you. And they'll say stuff like, If God is so good, how can so much evil happen in the world? Well, folks, here's your answer real quick. The Bible never said life is good. Sometimes life stinks. The Bible never said people are good. None of them truly are, myself included. 
what the Bible said in that verse. It said, taste and see that the Lord is good. In spite of people, in spite of this world, if you'll taste him, if you'll commit to him, you see that he is good. So my last question to you today is, do you smell like him? How much do you smell like him? From the time you spend with him, from the passion you have for him. I'm not worried about how much you know about him. That's great. But do you smell like him? Because you've tasted. If you don't, maybe you just need another helping of the real soul food. Let's pray. Father, we love you. But help us to be more like you. Help us to risk our lives on you. Help us not just to sniff around you. Help us not to put our faith in things other than you. Help us risk it all on you. And take you into our lives. So that the world, every time we go out, that they smell you all over us. Help us to reek of you today and to taste and see that you are good.